MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, May 25th, 2021. Today, a new Tulsa massacre reparations bill is proposed in Congress. Belarus forces down a plane to remove a journalist in Minsk. Beto O'Rourke is eyeing the Texas governorship. Indigenous people are set to receive the largest amount of federal funding in the history of America. And Joe Manchin feigns outrage over Republicans refusing to vote for an insurrection commission as Schumer sets up to force a vote. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Okay. All right. So uh, I just found out, by the way, Mitt Romney, the uh, the token moderate, has said he will vote. He's changed his mind. He will vote for the Insurrection Commission. Uh, we need nine more. <laughs> <laughs> just nine. No problem. Just nine. Mm. Just Christ. Mm. Yeah, it's not looking good, but there's a lot of different options here. I still want an independent counsel appointed. And we're recording this Monday. In in the afternoon, it's after 7 p.m. in D.C., and that means it's Bill Barr Office of Legal Counsel Memo Decision Day, and I'm monitoring that very closely. It is still not out. He's got about a little over three hours to do it. Sometimes they turn shit in late, but I'm pretty sure Garland will release at least part of the memo. That's very comforting, but I'm afraid you'll just have to wait. I hate waiting. So we'll see what happens. I don't know if it's going to come out between now and the time that I'm done talking to you, Dana. Maybe I'll record a little update Ooh, after the fact like later on tonight. We can just like toss well, it Well, you in. know we're going to text each other. I'm gonna, I bet I'm going to get a boom from you at like <laughs> 9 p.m. Okay, wait. All right. So, all right. Ready, everybody? The update will go right here. Hey, everybody. It's AG. It's later in the night and we have the memo. Well, part of it. From the introduction, here's Merrick Garland's response. Well, it's actually... The Department of Justice responded, and I believe it's the Deputy Attorney General looking, 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 uh, Julie Strauss, Elizabeth Shapiro, John Griffiths, and Brian Netter, Deputy Assistant Attorney General. So here's the uh, pertinent parts of this response from Merrick Garland's Department of Justice. We respectfully seek a stay pending an appeal of this court's order, but only insofar as it requires the release of Section 2 of the memo, also referred to as the March 2019 memorandum, the government is determined not to appeal the court's decision insofar as it's ordered the release of the entirety of the first page of document number 15 and section one of the document. Accordingly, this court's memorandum opinion, which discusses those previously redacted portions of the document, may be unsealed in its entirety. So we didn't get the whole memo, but we got the pertinent first page of it. And they're allowing the entirety of Judge Jackson's opinion to be released because it deals with that first part. Uh, It goes on to say the standards for stay are satisfied here. There would be irreparable harm caused by the release of second section. And it goes on to talk about a statement about what a Freedom of Information Act request is, standard of review, And then it says, argument, the government will suffer irreparable injury if a stay is not granted by keeping Section 2 a secret because of the deliberative process privilege. And this is what I had said. I had said, I I bet he's going to release part of it 
and keep the other part behind bars because of the deliberative process privilege. And that an appeal would present a serious legal question on which the Department of Justice would be likely to succeed. And then he argues why he would succeed about the pre-decisional stuff. So here they say, while a decision whether to actually commence a prosecution. okay, that's a little bit later. Section two provided advice in the context of a decisional process. So this is his argument against what Judge Jackson had said. The court first held that this document could not be accurately described as pre-decisional because of the court's review of the document and that it reveals that the attorney general was not engaged in making a decision about whether the president should be charged with obstruction of justice at the relevant time. In other words, the court understood the government's briefs and declarations to be characterized the decision that the attorney general was making a decision on whether to actually indict or prosecute the president and further understood that characterization is inconsistent with the memorandum itself. So this is his argument. You're saying you, the court, thought that Barr was trying to make a decision as to whether or not to prosecute the president. To be clear, the government agrees the attorney general was not making a decision about whether to indict or prosecute. And we regret any language that was imprecise in the government's brief and confusion it caused. Rather, the declarations and briefs on the whole made clear the decision in question was whether the facts articulated by volume two of Mueller's report were sufficient to establish that the president had committed obstruction of justice, i.e. whether the facts constituted prosecutable conduct under the principles of federal prosecution. He goes on to say, while a decision whether to actually indict a president and a decision as to whether the evidence would be sufficient to prosecute might be related. And while both involve assessments that are prosecutorial in nature, they are not one and the same. The attorney general could seek advice on and decide whether the conduct in question met the legal standard for an offense and Department of Justice standards for prosecuting under the principles of federal prosecution, notwithstanding that an actual prosecution was foreclosed by a prior OLC opinion. That's the one that says you can't indict a sitting president. And because the existence of the OLC opinion for closing prosecution was widely known and acknowledged by both Mueller and the Attorney General Barr and contemporaneous letters to Congress, the government had no reason to suggest and certainly did not mean to suggest the decision whether to bring a criminal prosecution was in play. Accordingly, given the decision the Attorney General was making, whether the facts constituted an offense that would warrant a prosecution, the decisional process was privileged just as it would have been if the attorney general had been deciding whether to actually commence a prosecution. Plaintiff contended in its briefing that the attorney general did not have a genuine decision to make. And then he goes on to argue that the attorney general was electing to make a decision that was explicitly left open by the special counsel. Whether in a prosecutor's judgment crimes were committed based on the conduct the special counsel investigated under justice manual standards. Special counsel Robert Mueller and his report on the investigation, volume two, et cetera, et cetera, citation, citation, the attorney general's determination on that point and on what, if anything, to say to the public about that question undoubtedly qualifies as a decision, even if it could not have resulted in an actual prosecution of the sitting president. There was no legal bar to determining that the evidence did or did not establish a commission of a crime and determination the attorney general made and announced. So that continues. Document 15 was pre-decisional because it was memorializing advice provided during the course of a decision-making process. That's something else that the DOJ has concluded here. Here, the relevant factors point uniformly to the conclusion that this memorandum contained advice to the attorney general on a decision. It did not state or memorialize a final decision already reached. Nothing on the face of Document 15 suggests that it was memorializing a decision 
already rendered. To the contrary, the memorandum presented the attorney general with options to approve or disapprove the recommendations it offered. And in two places, in the now unredacted portion of the first paragraph on page one and page five, which Department of Justice continues to withhold in full, the document makes clear that it reflects advice previously offered to the attorney general. So that's something else that it's stating. This is a really weird roundabout argument, and we're going to break it down a lot more closely uh, this week, particularly on Mueller, she wrote on Sunday. But we're going to go over this in more detail. The conclusion here, they go over a bunch of stuff that's in the section two of deliberative process that they don't want to release. The balance of hardship weighs in favor of a stay. Conclusion, for the foregoing reasons, this court should grant the defendant's motion for a stay pending an appeal on section two. In addition, with the disclosure of page one and section one of the memorandum, we've handed over the, the first part of it. The sealed portions of the court opinion may be unsealed. We should have that soon. And that's what's going to be important to see, I think. In the event that this court denies a stay, it should not require that section two documents should be disclosed until the D.C. Circuit Court has had the opportunity to rule on the stay motion. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals could overturn this decision or could not overturn this decision, but uphold Judge Jackson's decision on this and say, yeah, nope, we are not, we're not granting your stay. You have to release it. That is a decision that they can make. And I hope they make it because I don't think any of this personally should be withheld, but we'll see. Anyway, just wanted to interject that. I'll talk to you guys later. Back to AGDG. All right. If there was nothing that happened between there and then I went to sleep. (laughs) Otherwise you'll hear me chiming in later, provided that our great producers are up and can drop it in and get it out on time. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, uh, I hate waiting. Anyway, you ready to do this? We've got a lot of other news to get to. I am indeed. Let's do it. All right. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So in other news, while we wait for this, three years after becoming Democrats breakout star of Texas and a year removed from crashing back to earth in a short lived presidential run, Beto O'Rourke is weighing another campaign, this time for governor of Texas. I know. But now O'Rourke, who has teased an announcement of his bid for the White House on the cover of Vanity Fair, is being quiet about it. He says he hasn't ruled anything out, but he isn't saying much else. And Texas Democrats are itching for an answer. Impatience is not the word for it, Texas Democratic Party chairman Gilberto Hinojosa said. But anxious is. And I agree. (laughs) For months, O'Rourke has kept his options open. A top aide to the former Texas congressman and presidential candidate said O'Rourke has not ruled out challenging Republican Governor Greg Abbott in 2022, but has taken no formal steps toward a campaign, like calling donors or recruiting staff or doing straw polls or anything. The aide, by the way, spoke on the condition of anonymity in order to discuss private deliberations more freely. That's so funny how they put that's the reason in there. Yeah, we know why they're (laughs) talking anonymously. (laughs) If O'Rourke, yeah, because he just really likes wearing a paper bag over his head. It has nothing to do with being able to speak freely. If O'Rourke did jump in, it would be his third straight election cycle as a candidate following his very, very narrow loss to the Senate in 2018 and his failed White House run last year. A comeback in Texas could be complicated by liberal positions he took while seeking the presidency, but likely no other Democrat would enter the governor's race with the same ability to quickly raise the massive campaign funds needed to compete especially in a state like Texas. There's no timeline on a decision, according to this aide, who said O'Rourke only recently has been able to think more about running now that he's finished teaching virtual classes at two Texas universities. For one, he led a seminar on the struggle for voting rights, O'Rourke's most visible cause lately, as state lawmakers are set to approve a sweeping bill that would restrict polling hours and reduce options to cast a ballot, which would also make it harder for him to run. Now, many have said if Matthew McConaughey runs, Matthew McConaughey could siphon votes from Beto 
and hand Abbott another term. All right, all right, all right. Why is that a real sentence? <laughs> but I, I disagree personally. Unless McConaughey has changed his lifelong positions on shit like guns and immigration, he's way more Republican than he is Democrat. And I think he'd split the GOP vote more than he'd split the Dem vote. Just my two cents. And who knows how he might pander to Dems if he enters the race. Hopefully he won't. Although I'd love to see a new movie starring him called How to Lose an Election in 10 Days. <laughs> well done, my friend. Well done. <laughs> uh, yeah, trust me, you'll definitely see a real Texas Buyers Club if that actually happens, because there's going to be money in that race. Mm. All right. After hearing emotional testimony. Now, uh, this is amazing that just because the plaintiffs in this case, the age of these plaintiffs, After hearing emotional testimony from three survivors of the 1921 Tulsa race massacre, a Georgia congressman introduced a bill Friday that would make it easier for them to seek reparations. Now, Rep. Hank Johnson, a Democrat in Georgia, said the Tulsa Greenwood Massacre Claims Accountability Act would provide survivors and descendants access to the court to seek restitution for one of the worst episodes of racial violence in U.S. history. In the past, he said survivors and descendants have had their claims rejected because of statutes of limitation restrictions. This is a quote. The victims of this atrocity have been denied justice far too long, said Johnson, chairman of the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Courts, Intellectual Property and the Internet. Now, on Wednesday, the only living survivors, the only living survivors of the massacre, get this, A.G., Viola Fletcher, 107, her brother, Hughes Van Ellis, 100 years old, and Lessie Benningfield Randall, 106. They actually sat and told lawmakers that they endured what they endured a century ago. They spoke as Tulsa prepares to mark the 100th anniversary of the rampage at the end of the month. Imagine that, all over a century old. Unbelievable. Fletcher Ellis and Randall are lead plaintiffs in a reparations lawsuit filed last year against the city of Tulsa, Tulsa County, and the state of Oklahoma, and the Tulsa Chamber of Commerce. The lawsuit argues that Oklahoma and Tulsa are responsible for what happened during the massacre, which historians believe left as many as 300 black people dead, 10,000 homeless, and all black community of Greenwood was destroyed. Survivors have sought reparations through the courts before, but judges ruled that the statute of limitations for damages had expired. Now, despite the fact that some survivors filed claims in June of 1921, only days after the massacre had ended. In 2005, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear a reparations case appeal. So Demario Solomon Simmons, the lead attorney in the lawsuit filed last year by Tulsa survivors, noted that Congress paid reparations to Japanese internment camp survivors and 9-11 survivors. Hell of an argument. Now, it's important for Congress in the United States of America to say what happened to these people in Greenwood was wrong, said Solomon Simmons. He is the executive director of the Justice for Greenwood Foundation. He went on to say, we have power to remedy it. We should remedy it. We must have accountability for what happened in Greenwood. Mm. I love this case. I really hope that this goes through because he is right. The precedent for the internment camp survivors in 9-11 is a very, very strong argument. Yeah. Yeah. And were you taught about the Tulsa massacre in school, Dana? No, you know what's really sad? The only, the first time I'd heard about the Tulsa massacre is when the former guy, Jackass, decided he was going to actually plan one of his rallies on that date in yeah. Tulsa. That's honestly the most I'd heard about it. It's hor- it's horrifying that that's not taught more in the schools. Yeah, I, I was not taught that in school either and have only, like you, recently learned about it. And uh, 
and I, I think you're right. I think they have an incredible legal argument for reparations. And if not, we need to change the laws on the statute of limitations for reparations. Why is there? Totally. I don't understand why there's a statute of limitations for that. And this is an incredible story. A day after it brazenly forced down a commercial airline so it could seize a dissident journalist traveling on board, Belarus found itself increasingly isolated on Monday as other countries considered measures that would effectively make Belarusian airspace off limits to airlines. They sent a fighter jet up to bring this plane down. Quote, the reaction should be swift and severe. That's Belgium's prime minister. He declared his European leaders prepared to gather in Brussels to discuss next steps. Condemnation grew over the diversion of the Ryanair flight, which had been ordered by the country's strongman leader so that a Belarusian journalist traveling from Greece to Lithuania through Belarusian airspace could be detained. President Biden was briefed Monday morning about the incident, which Secretary of State Anthony Blinken condemned as a shocking act that endangered the lives of more than 120 passengers, including U.S. citizens. And he demanded the immediate release of the journalist, Roman Protasevich, uh, and he wants a full investigation. In Ukraine, Belarus's neighbor to the south, President Volodymyr Zelensky directed his government to ban flights from Belarus to close the Belarus airspace to flights to or from Ukraine. The Lithuanian government called for Belarusian airspace to be closed to international flights in response to what it called a hijacking by military force. Michael O'Leary, the chief executive of Ryanair, an Irish-based low-cost carrier, called the operation, which was directed by Alexander Lukashenko of Belarus, a state-sponsored hijacking. And I will not call Lukashenko the president. He is a dictator, a strongman. Sofia Sapiga, the girlfriend of the arrested journalist, was also detained when the plane landed in Minsk on Sunday after a bogus bomb threat during its flight from Athens to Lithuania. And uh, there's no word Monday morning from the Belarusian authorities on their whereabouts. European leaders on Monday agreed to impose sectoral sanctions on Belarus and to bar EU airlines from flying over the country's airspace, dealing a potentially crushing blow to the Belarusian economy a day after the Belarusian authorities forced down that jet. The measures, backed by all 27 EU leaders, to get them to agree on anything is a feat in itself. All 27 agreed were unusually fast and powerful response to this move by Belarusian, well, I'm not going to call him the president, but Lukashenko, who on Sunday sent, like I said, a MiG-29 fighter jet to snatch the plane out of the sky as it was flying from Athens to Lithuania and arrest that journalist. Uh, and now we know a Protosevich faces 12 years or more in prison. So Biden needs to act swiftly in partnership with European allies. I think that there are Magnitsky Act sanctions on the table here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope I hope they take the right swift, harsh steps uh, and, and join with, with the EU, with their allies over in the EU. I hope they do as well. Now, this last story uh, is about Joe Manchin clutching his pearls and falling on his fainting couch mm. with fake outrage at the Republicans for watering down the Insurrection Commission legislation and then refusing to support it. So apparently Joe Manchin's pissed about this. And I don't know why he's surprised. Now, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer Uh, He began taking steps Wednesday to speed the bill to the floor, saying he intends to hold a vote after the House voted 252 to 175 to pass the legislation. Now, (laughs) Schumer said, my Senate Republican colleagues must now ask themselves, are they going to join us in pursuing the truth? Are they going to cover for Donald Trump and his big lie? Now, uh, he did that without specifying when the vote would actually be. So even though 35 House Republicans broke ranks to support the bill, A.G., An unusually high split. That's what that is. Senate GOP opposition grew after Minority Leader Mitch McConnell 
minority leader. Oh, it sounds so good every time. I know. Mitch McConnell of Kentucky came out against it Wednesday, arguing that it's unnecessary because, quote, strong existing investigations are already underway in Congress and by the Justice Department. And we've already talked about this. They don't want to have this investigation done because it hurts their chances of getting reelected. We know that because they said that part out loud. They did. They actually said that. We're not guessing. That's not conjecture. They said, oh, we're going to look bad when these results come out at the end of uh, this year and we're going into an election year. We don't want that. That'll look bad. And of course, they're terrified for the truth to come out. People like McCarthy and stuff, maybe not McConnell, but, you know, folks like McCarthy and Boebert and anybody who gave tours in the Capitol the day before for reconnaissance and who removed uh, Presley's panic buttons? Like, there's just so much that, that could come out. McCarthy would have to testify. and He doesn't want to. He's such a douche. Oh, no. But, you know, we'll see. And we'll keep an eye on it for you. I don't know that it'll make it out of the Senate. But maybe maybe they'll be able to, to drum up 10, uh, you know, nine more with Romney's already on board. I always get so skeptical when Romney comes up because, you know, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But when he knows that there's nine other people that are willing to not vote for it. He's so safe to come out and Mm -hmm. act like he's, you know, Mm -hmm. so high and mighty. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Agreed. And before we go to break here, yes, we did just get a ton of unredacted, unsealed Manafort documents, which I'm going to study very closely this week and report on very soon. The standout story here is that Manafort did indeed share internal polling data with the Kremlin via Kalimnik, which we knew And we know a little more about what those data were, including Fabrizio polling data and Cambridge Analytica data. So uh, all those redaction bars have come off, not all, but most. And I'll keep you posted on that. Uh, I'll go over that in detail, Uh, probably on this weekend's Mueller, she wrote. He can still be prosecuted for this crime because that, you know, conspiracy, because he (laughs) he wasn't pardoned for that. That's fantastic. He was only pardoned for crimes he was convicted of. (laughs) And he wasn't even charged with this one. Because we read in Andrew Weissman's book, yeah, we had him on conspiracy, but it's so much easier to prove these 800,000 other tax and business fraud things. And we put him away for long enough. He, he just happened to be pardoned. So, but the pardon's pretty weak, but we'll keep you posted. We'll be right back with Greg Oliar. We're going to discuss accountability and what's going on with the Crazy Times Carnival audit. And we're going to bring a, a, a familiar name back into the story because now Maria Butna is sort of connected to this in, in, a, in a weird way. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> When would you ever hear a former Russian honeypot spy connected to the Overstock.com CEO is handling some of the auditing information in Maricopa County? Nope. It just sounds like a, like a political Mad Lib that you just yep. filled in nouns and verbs. You were like, give me a noun. <laughs> nope. Yeah, that's that. That shit is real. We'll be right back with that. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Allison Gill from The Daily Beans. And today's episode is brought to you by Quince. If you love the quality of designer clothes but do not like the high prices, you will love Quince. Luxury products do not have to be expensive, but they're often marked up 8 to 10 times by retailers. Quince connects you directly with the factories that make the products from the world's leading luxury brands, so you get the highest quality products at insanely low prices. I am so glad I discovered Quince. It's been amazing finding so many luxury products at such incredible prices. I have found great apparel, cashmere bags, bedding, the sheets I have right now, accessories, and more at 50 to 80% less than what I'd pay for the same stuff and the same quality at the most expensive luxury brand product stores. At Quince, you'll find the finest quality in a wide variety of products like washable silk loungewear and PJs, so great for summer, Italian leather bags handcrafted in Florence, 100% great A Mongolian cashmere sweaters and sets, Belgian linen sheets, five-star hotel quality Turkish cotton bathrobes, and more. The bathrobes make excellent gifts, by the way. 
Quince goods are not only incredibly high quality and sold at radically lower prices, but are also made in a sustainable way. And that's why we love them. And with Quince, everything is 100% factory direct with no retailer markups or middlemen. Every Quince product is guaranteed to meet or exceed the quality standards of leading luxury brands, which is why their customers rate Quince so highly. Best of all, there's free shipping and returns for 365 days. And if you're not completely satisfied, they'll give you a full refund. To get from 50 to 80% off on top-of-the-line clothing and home goods, plus free shipping, text the word DAILY to 64000. Again, text DAILY to 64000. Terms apply. Available at onequince.com slash terms. Again, one more time, text the word DAILY to 64000. All right, everybody. Welcome back. I'm super excited today because we have with us author of the book Dirty Rubles and host of the podcast Prevail, which is a member of the MSW Media Network, which is launching this week. Interestingly enough, you have a guest coming up on your podcast on Prevail that has talked about what we're about to talk about, which is the fact that Overstock CEO, former disgraced bullshit dickbag Patrick Byrne, who we covered a lot in the Mueller She Wrote podcast uh, a couple years ago because of his, you know, coming after the deep state, but mostly because he got sucked into the Maria Butina honeypot. Well, anyway, he's got a hand in this Maricopa County Crazy Times Carnival audit that is happening with the ballots, the 2020 ballots that is just absolutely I'm waiting for so many lawsuits and criminal cases to come out about what's happening in Arizona right now. But everybody, please welcome Greg Oliar. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be back. That's a super long introduction, but there was just so much pertinent information. No, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. And now we can just dive right in. But apparently, Patrick Byrne, this Overstock CEO guy I was talking about, is in charge of vetting and sort of organizing the non-disclosure agreements that are required to be signed by Cyber Ninja's employees who are, you know, doing the the merry-go-round audit looking for bamboo for South Korean ballots. So that's his role in this. And I just found this out recently and it dawned on me, Greg, you and I have talked about Patrick Byrne before, especially in the context of Maria Butina. Tell us what you know. Well, first of all, on behalf of the Overstock.com shareholders, I think it would be remiss not to point out that he is no longer the CEO of Overstock. He was the CEO, and he's the one that built it into the company that he is, selling furniture, I might add, overstock furniture, which Maria Butina was also involved with in Siberia. And Donald Trump said the thing about in his famous grab them by the you know, statement, he also said, I'm going to go buy them furniture. There's a lot of furniture going around with these people. I don't know what, what, what the, the significance <laughs> of that is. Now, you mentioned it's the, the guest. It's the Ottoman Empire. Okay? Oh, 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 that's good. That's good. Can you put in a little sound effect? Can we do a bump bump? Or uh... <laughs> I think I might call the episode the Ottoman Empire. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Yeah, I can't. I'm not going to be able to top that the whole rest of the time. So anyway, you mentioned my podcast, Prevail, which we're now on episode 15 coming up on Friday. But An interview that I did recently, which is coming out in, I think, two weeks, maybe three weeks, is with Celia Anaskovich. She put together a podcast on Wondery called Spy Affair, which is all about Maria Butina. She pronounces it Butina, and she talks to her all the time. I know it's supposed to be Butina. I don't know how to pronounce it. But anyway, if you haven't listened to this podcast, I sort of, when I heard about it, I thought, okay, this is going to be Russian propaganda. It's going to be Butina trying to pull the wool over her eyes. And it's astonishing that this thing exists because she managed to get Maria talking a lot, recording and telling her story 
And then Patrick Byrne plays a huge role in this podcast. He's in there a lot. And he is almost the most fascinating part of it because you really get a good sense listening to this guy talk and talk and talk throughout what he thinks happened and what really happened. He's not a straight up Trumpist dick. Like he didn't vote for Trump. I don't think he likes Trump. He, I think, genuinely believes that the election was rigged. I don't think he's insincere, which is what makes it so crazy because he's clearly, I don't know if there's voices he's listening to or what, but there's something when you hear him talk, you're like, this guy's clearly really smart. He's clearly um, obviously very successful, very, very arrogant. And he thinks things are happening that I don't think are actually happening. Like he thought he had some, and this is all in the podcast that, that Celia did. He thought he had some contact in the U.S. government that he refers to as Uncle Sam, who was instructing him what to do with Maria and that they should continue the relationship and this and that. And he tells this whole story where he thinks that basically he's honeypotting her. Right? Oh, my God. So son of Uncle Sam. <laughs> Out of an empire, son of Uncle <laughs> Sam. But you're listening to this. And you're like, are you is he full of shit here? I can't I don't understand what's happening. And then he goes on and talking about all the, the stop the steal stuff. And he was, as you mentioned, in December, I think it was December 20th, he was at a meeting in the White House where he, Sidney Powell and Michael Flynn, you know, the sanity avatars there, mm -hmm. show up in some limo unannounced to go meet with Trump, who, of course, meets with them because he'll listen to anybody who will tell him that the election's rigged and he won and this and that, you know, what he wants to hear. But this cyber ninja stuff has been going on for some time. Even before that, he has this website called Deep Capture, which is his thing where he wants to go and assemble all of these, like, I guess, cyber ninjas is his quote unquote cute term for it and take down the man or whatever it is he wants to do. And it's kind of like a mirror of what people on Twitter in the last four years, those of us who have found each other on Twitter have done, which is do the research figure out the narratives, call out people that are bad, vet this and that. But he's he's warped it and twisted it in this way that is um, he's just working for the wrong people. And I don't know if he's so in deep with hostile foreign powers or whoever that he's doing this on purpose or if he's actually just batshit insane and he's right about it a little bit, but he's flipped it and he can't figure out where he's wrong. I don't know. It's very strange. But in the podcast, you'll walk away being, you know, having a whole new view of him. Did he actually expressly use the term cyber ninjas? I think he did. I was reading his website. I, I believe it's on his website from back in November. He's posted this thing about going on and he wants to assemble people who are recovered Wall Street people or gonzo journalists and academics and economists and this and that and assembling all these brainiac kind of people that are countercultural, I guess. Mm -hmm. He thinks very highly of himself and he thinks he's this iconoclast maverick type. Well, no. It's hard to peg, you know? I mean, it, it makes me wonder if he had anything to do with setting up the Cyber Ninjas firm that eventually was hired, contracted, no bid, by the way, mm. by Maricopa County, uh, paid $150,000 to do this and that, that he's vetting the Cyber Ninjas. I'm, you know, maybe he's connected to that in some way. I, I pegged it as Roger Stone because it's an unheard of thing from Florida. I'm like, oh, it's got to have Roger Stone's name on it somewhere. But also something that's interesting to me is as you talk about that, I'm reminded of a QAnon and their pledge to be 
a digital army, yep. right? And that to me has sort of a, a ghosty echo of a cyber ninja or vice versa. And so I'm just wondering how tied together all of these groups are, you know, and when you drag Paul Erickson and Maria Butna and, and uh, all these other folks into it that infiltrated the NRA and were, you know, uh, indicted for kicking old people out of their old folks' homes in, in South Dakota or what, wherever it was. I can't remember. North Dakota, one of the Dakotas. It just seems like there's no coincidences. It's definitely all of a piece. I mean, Patrick Byrne does not like Paul Erickson, by the way. That's, you know, well, the way that he calls him a cuck without calling him a cuck in the podcast is actually really funny. They both had eyes for Butina. You know, I mean, he couldn't have been happy when he saw Butina and Erickson singing Beauty and the Beast together. I couldn't have been. <laughs> I couldn't have made his heart sing. They were they knew each other for three years and were on and off during most of that time a little bit. And I know it had to have overlapped. And of course, you know, with what we know of Maria Butina, who did time served, she was indicted. And I think Patrick Burns said of her, I hope she goes back to Russia and becomes president of Russia one day. Yeah, that would be great for everyone and the United States. So it's just a, sort of a very, again, everything overlaps so much. And it just it may be just because they're all pulling from the same bullshit Russian does a file. But, you know, they might be all influenced by the same disinformation. But yeah, I don't know. Digital army, cyber ninjas, the fact that he says we need to get cyber ninjas together, then cyber ninjas and then the audit. And then he's working on the audit with cyber ninjas to vet them and make them sign non-disclosure agreements. It's all very uh, spooky. Before I came on, I was checking. He wrote a book, which I think is called. Is it also called Deep Capture? It's called Deep Something. I can't remember. Deep shit, it should be called. But <laughs> I, I looked on the Amazon page and he's got like, I think, 1,500 reviews and they're all five-star reviews, which is really, really hard to do. Like, unless you're playing the game in the system. His Amazon ranking is like way high for a book that's been out for a while. So he certainly knows how to manipulate numbers, I would think, and get things like that to work for him. And, you know, he's a smart guy. He definitely is. He's not like some of these people are not. Right, right. I, I don't think we're breaking news here. Some of these people are not that smart. <laughs> I'm just going to go out and say it. Mm-hmm. Some of them are not the brightest, you know, bulbs on the old Christmas tree. But uh, he he's a bright guy. And I don't know, there is some overlap between what he's doing and what Flynn is saying. But I can't help but wonder if Byrne is just kind of nutty and is being manipulated. Yeah. Or is just sort of operating rogue on his own. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to find out. Kind of like uh, I remember when Sidney Powell was removed from the uh, elite strike force for suggesting <laughs> that, uh, you know, Venezuela had something to do with. Anyway, I mean, there's just so there's just so much going on. Right. And I want to talk a little bit about the Dominion voting machines and some other repercussions and then what you're going to discuss about this on your podcast. But I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me for a minute? I will. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Allison Gill for The Beans. From time to time, we've all been procrastinators and we probably all have something we should see a doctor about but have been putting off. But honestly, our health is too important to ignore. I always put off going to the doctor because it feels like a chore. And if it does, that is why Plush Care is here for you. They make it super easy to schedule an appointment to see a doctor. I can prioritize my hassle-free health care. Plush Care provides virtual doctor appointments through your smartphone or your computer. I just pick a time that works for me and book an appointment right online. A couple clicks and I'm done. I don't have to sit on hold forever to make an appointment or leave the house and sit in a crowded waiting room. With Plush Care, I can be diagnosed, treated, and even have prescriptions sent to my local pharmacy of choice if needed, all within minutes. Plush Care accepts most major insurance carriers and is available in all 50 states, and the doctors are awesome. 
They're here to help by discussing treatment options and providing prescriptions as you need them. And they're available anytime I have questions. And if you're having difficulty managing your emotions or stress or anxiety, Plush Care doctors are available to help with that too. Schedule an appointment today to discuss your treatment options. I found using Plush Care to be a very pleasant experience. It was easy to schedule an appointment. It was very convenient for me, and I felt immediately comfortable and confident with my provider. To me, the most important thing is our health, so it was wonderful how simple Plush Care made it to put my health first. Plush Care makes it easier than ever to take care of yourself inside and out. Start your membership today. Go to plushcare.com slash dailybeans to start your free 30-day trial. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash dailybeans for that free 30-day trial. Plushcare.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are talking with author of Dirty Rubles and host of the Prevail podcast, which is out now. You can check it out now wherever you get your podcasts. Greg Oliar. And uh, before the break, we were discussing Patrick Byrne, former CEO of Overstock, not the current, <laughs> his ties with Maria Butina, how he hates Paul Erickson, how he doesn't trust certain people, how he's very into deep state conspiracies and was wanting to stop the steel, believes the election was rigged, but doesn't necessarily like Trump, etc. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this audit, because it seems legally the Arizona Republican Party and the Senate, even the very conservative Republican Council in Maricopa is backing away from what's happening here, especially when, you know, they came out and said that the entire voter database had been deleted. And now it's they're being sued if they unless they publish a retraction of that. I feel that they're putting themselves in considerable legal jeopardy here. I mean, I'm not a lawyer and I don't know anything about legal jeopardy, but like we keep we've spent four years saying that people are in legal jeopardy and nobody seems to get in any trouble for anything for any reason. So, well, to be fair though, Barr was there forever. I know, you know I know, but we have a We have a new dude. I know, I know, but yes, of course, everything that they're doing is ridiculous and puts them in legal jeopardy. And until we have indictments and people start going to jail for, you know, breaking the law, <laughs> they're just going to keep doing it because they have no choice. I mean, these guys have, aside from, if they're, you know, certain people have compromise and they have to kind of play this. I think even on a psychological level, when you believe something deeply like this thing, like I believe, like Patrick Byrne believes that the election was rigged for Trump. And I think he really believes that the trauma of having to unbelieve that and realize you're wrong is is powerful and real when you've put your entire career. I mean, he, that guy spent like what? $45 million on this. He got thrown out of his business. He's, and the pillow guy is, the, is another one. You know, these guys lost vast fortunes to back Trump on this stupid losing game. It's very strange. I think there's, there's deep psychology at work with it. You know, it's very hard for people in that position to admit that they're wrong. Yeah, you're right. Especially when you've, you've sunk so much money into it. That has to be nearly impossible, right? That cognitive dissonance. Yeah. It has to be next to impossible. That's why it's so hard to leave a cult, you know, because you've sacrificed so much. Right. That's exactly what this is. There's no two ways about it. So now what I'm wondering is, obviously, we don't know if we're going to see legal issues or not. The Department of Justice seems to sort of be tiptoeing in and out of what's going on in Arizona. I know Katie Hobbs has sent in observers, and I've read some of those perspective pieces, especially one that was recently published in the Washington Post by uh, Jennifer Morrell. But there's so much going on that we actually don't know about. One thing we know for sure is that they're going to come out with discrepancies and numbers and that Trump actually won the election, that that's going to be their assertion. And they'll try to take that to court, I'm sure, and lose. Right. And then it's just a big waste of time. It's just a big it's it's the cat chasing at the tail, in a sense. You mentioned Katie Hobbs. I trust her. I think she's really good. I think she had it all under control. I don't think they're going to find if they're actually counting the ballots, which is what they're 
that's what they're doing, right? Isn't that what they're supposed to be doing? Counting the ballots and checking for this, that, or the other? Yeah. I don't think there's going to be that many. I mean, how, you know, unless they bring them in. Well, because... <laughs> Because what one of the observers said from uh, the Katie Hobbs appointed observer who, who was forced to wear a pink shirt and hand over all her electronic devices and was only given a legal pad and a red pen and followed around by people the whole time. What she noticed is that there were miscounts and miscalculations, but there was no like reference number to how many ballots were being counted. They were just counting them. And if they didn't match, they would just make them match each other, not match any actual verifiable number. That's just one of a, a zillion different discrepancies that was going on that she observed from, you know, 15 feet away with three people around her with her red pen and her legal pad. So there's there's a lot that can go wrong when you have no when everything's a variable. Yeah, no, it's because they keep they're moving the goalposts and it and they're not even playing football anymore. Now it's a whole different sport. But like. I'm also thinking, okay, they've assembled this cyber ninja team and they've been vetted by Patrick Brett. Like, really, who the fuck wants to put their reputation on the line to do that job? Like, how, you know, where are they getting these people from? Are they really the top people? I mean, because I think maybe I'm going to go out on a limb here and say no. No. And how much are they paying them? Was it a Craigslist ad? You know? Yeah. And there's non-disclosure agreements. We know that uh, a lot of journalists who have been on scene there have been asking questions and are like, can't say anything. Sign an agreement. Can't say anything. And apparently that those agreements were coordinated by Patrick Byrne. So it's just it's going to be, you know, I mean, it's it's a colossal waste of time, like you said, but it's dangerous, too, isn't it? Yeah, it's dangerous. But I guess what I'm hoping will happen is that they just even after all of this fucking around, they won't even be able to find anything that they can even attempt to make to spin into seeming bad. And, you know, maybe I'm wishful thinking, but I, you know, the guy he lost. I mean, what? What do they think is going to happen anyway? Like, I don't, I don't understand what exactly they think is going to happen. It's like the Obama wasn't born in Hawaii thing. Yeah. Like, after he's been president for seven years, what do you think is going to happen? He's just going to be like, you're right, dudes. I'm born in Kenya. After a point, like, it doesn't really make any difference anymore. I mean, come on. Did Bush really win Florida in 2000? I mean, did he? I don't know. But we shot that thing down and we're not going to go back and be like, no, let's invalidate everything he did. Gore was president. Therefore, you know, let's throw out the Supreme Court. It doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. So I don't even understand what the point of this is, other than to sow discord and eradicate the trust or erode the trust that we have in our institutions, which is dangerous. Yeah. And to pass the voting suppression bills that they're trying to pass. Yes, yeah. But also, you know, I thought maybe they're mining voter data. That was the only other thing I could think of, too. There's a lot of cameras there and, and stuff like that. And, you know, they could be mining voter data that may not be readily available. You know, somebody was like, oh, you know, none of the voter information is on the ballot. I'm like, yes, but it, it is. They were going to go to people's houses and knock on their doors and say, did you vote for Joe Biden? Verify it for me, please. And they were blocked by doing that because they called it voter intimidation, yeah. which it is. That's a, that's federally illegal. And so Fan was like, she's like, OK, I won't, all right, we won't do that part. But they were prepared to, which means that that they have access to that kind of information. That was my first thought is like they're, they're just gathering voter data and selling it to the highest bidder because Maricopa County is is going to be a, a very crucial county in the coming elections now that Arizona's blue and and now they want to do it in Georgia too. They want to do this exact same kind of thing in Georgia. Private industry comes in, counts the ballots, and you know, whether they come up with false numbers and go to court and get laughed out of court or not, 
they continue to perpetuate the big lie and maybe they're harvesting voter data. Those are the only things I can think of other than it just being a giant shit show. And it is, I think the data, you know, the selling of the data is a good point. I think that that's definitely in, in the cards here. And it's like anything else, like they're just going to keep firing away, hoping that something works, just like with the anti-choice legislation that the, they keep trying to get something to go to the Supreme Court. They're just going to keep trying. They're going to keep trying. They're going to keep trying. And sooner or later, who knows, maybe there will be a crack in the citadel and the bad stuff will get in. I mean, that's that's the other thing is that you miss every shot that you don't take. Right. Maybe they have mm-hmm. maybe Patrick Byrne has an office full of those stupid, like inspirational posters. <laughs> in fact, now that I think about it, I'm 98 percent sure that he does have an office of those stupid inspirational <laughs> posters with the cat crawling, you know, hang on or whatever. Yeah. Endurance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah. 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 Basketball guy. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. That's what's happening. Well, it's been really great talking to you. I want to leave the rest for your show and I can't wait to hear it with your guest from The Spy Affair. But your show is called Prevail. Uh, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You can learn more by following Greg Oliar on Twitter and you can check out mswmedia.com and also you need to you need to read Dirty Rubles if you haven't yet you should pick up a copy seriously it'll blow you away thank you so much for your time today Greg Oliar I appreciate it hey thanks for having me everybody stick around we'll be right back with the good news hey Beans listeners it's Allison thanks for supporting the podcast today's episode is brought to you by Titan for too long Wall Street has neglected the average investor giving out the same old generic advice like buy index funds meanwhile the ultra wealthy get access to premium investment strategies and white glove service. That divide didn't sit well with Titan, so they built a premier investment firm, but for everyone. Thanks to Titan, everyday investors can have their capital invested like world-class investment firms do, all through the Titan mobile app. Titan's goal is to give you access to the best investment experience in the world, but without the high minimums, lockups, lockouts, or performance fees. Their in-house investment team invests your capital using their award-winning strategies and delivers daily research updates via the Titan app. It's like having an elite investment manager in your pocket. Titan manages hundreds of millions of dollars for over 25,000 clients and counting. And they were named the 2020 Top Investment App of the Year by U.S. News. To get started, just download the Titan app and start investing with Titan today and get three months with zero fees. Visit titanvest.com slash dailybeans. That's three months with zero fees at titanvest.com slash dailybeans. And today's episode is also brought to you by First Leaf. It is my new favorite thing. It is a better way to discover wine at a fraction of the price you'll find in a store. First Leaf is a fully customizable wine club that sends curated boxes of wine that are perfect for you and your palate and your tastes. And they have more award-winning wines than anyone else. With First Leaf, there's no guesswork, no misguided recommendations from employees who don't understand wine or don't know who you are, and no frustration on your part. Each wine shipment is entirely customized to your palate and preferences. And unlike big box wine memberships, First Leaf uses one-of-a-kind algorithms and your feedback to curate future wine recommendations. The more wines you taste and review, the better the shipments get. I love their system of rating the different wines. I give specific preferences based on personal taste, and each shipment has improved more and more as I dial in exactly what I like the most. It's just, it gets so much better each and every time. And it was delicious to begin with. And the great thing is First Leaf works directly with the world's best winemakers, to not only find the best wines available, but they pass the savings on to you. They work direct, so you save up to 60% off retail. I love all the varietals. I love how flexible the subscription system is. It's up to me what wines I get and when I get them and how often I get them. I prefer dry reds, Syrah, Shiraz, but sometimes I like to get a mix for a variety, maybe a Chardonnay or something. I've got a few favorites, but trying new wines for the first time, too, is amazing. I love wine, and if you love wine, I highly recommend trying First Leaf. Save money, time, and stress. 
the wine club designed with you in mind, First Leaf. Join today. You'll get six bottles for $29.95 plus free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash dailybeans. That's six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com slash dailybeans. You will be glad you did. Okay, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. Oh, Dana, it's it's good news Tuesday. I'm very excited about these submissions. If anyone has any good news, corrections, confessions, anything you want to send in, misheard lyrics, you know, share the swear, limericks, whatever you want to send in, find the cat, what the mutt, do it at dailybeanspod.com. And click on contact. We would love to hear from you. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and kick us off. Anonymous, he, him, writes in and says, I continue to be entertained by your lighthearted coverage of the ridiculous ninja audit. Keep it up. <laughs> minor, and I do mean minor correction, but it's funny, I promise. So I'm not sure it's a correction. Prescott, Arizona is pronounced Prescott, like biscuit. Yeah, I don't know why either, uh, but it is. Pod dog included below for the awe. This is my dog that looks like a bear that looks like a cow, Lyra. Note, sadly, there was no picture attached. This is from our production crew. There's no shame in forgetting an attachment. Please send one soon, though. We would love to see this cow-looking bear of a dog. I don't... Did you Did you say Prescott? I didn't... I don't remember ever saying the city, but if... I, there's a possibility that I said Prescott, Arizona. If if I said Prescott, meaning if, if the, the word was in my script, there's a good chance I'm the one that mispronounced it. You have no idea how happy I was that you got that re- Ukraine story at the beginning of this episode because there were so many names in there that I would have completely butchered, AG. <laughs> now, I tell you, if I mispronounce Prescott, I should, uh, You're I, in I trouble. should be drawn and quartered because I grew up there. I taught horseback camp there. Wait, I, is there a possibility you said that for the patron on Friday that you were going to be in Arizona? Are you going to Prescott? Is it possible you said Prescott? I it would be very bad if I did. If I did, OMG, I'm so sorry, people in Prescott. <laughs> um, I, I do truly apologize. I love Prescott, Arizona. You know, and if it was me, I also apologize. I've driven through there several times. It's lovely. Okay, this next one's from Tim. Pronounce he, him. For pet tax, we just got right to this. Uh, what the mutt? I submit Nina. She was found in a box with her brothers and sisters by the side of the road in Esperito, Santo Brasil, and was Ooh. brought to us down Rio de Janeiro. The family that found the box live on a coffee plantation, and so they decided to make a line of espresso coffees based on members of the litter. Oh, my God. The family keeps in touch on Instagram by the hashtag, hashtag Bolinhasdecera, which is, oh, Bolinhas de Sera. So it's B-O-L-I-N-H-A-S-D-A-S-E-R-R-A, which means little furballs of the hill. Oh my God, I'm in love. <laughs> as for what breed Nina is, your guess is as good as ours. Uh, we call her Mini Pointer, which I'm pretty sure isn't a thing. <laughs> Thanks for all the great work you do. Oh, look at this. I see. Oh, I almost see like a Dalmatian Chihuahua. I see like a healer and a little bit of a beagle. Oh, the maybe? bigger dog. I was looking at the one on the box. Um, Yeah. So pretty. And then maybe beautiful dog i love that story mm-hmm. i want to pet the belly too that's yeah. so great i want to try this coffee now i'm gonna i'm gonna look for it online all right next up from anonymous pronoun they there hello first thank you for the gift subscription i have worked through the pandemic but a low-paying essential job where i'm still working i'm quite grateful for the subscription i thought i ought to give back a little i'm short on cash but i do have other materials for you uh 
Oh, I'm looking to the left, looking to the right. I'm doing the shifty eye. <laughs> Good news. I've got both my Pfizer shots despite crashing websites. I was never able to schedule an appointment, but as it turned out, twice I was able to get vaccinated after other people canceled their appointments. I'd also like to give you a mashup of sorts, a misheard alternate swear that one of your recent shows reminded me of. When I was growing up, I often heard my uh, paternal grandmother say, shit fire and molasses. <laughs> I used to think it was coined by my grandfather and never, you know, never caught on. It was only years later that I heard the correct expression shit fire and save matches so oh we have a share the goodness. swear with a misheard lyric here me shit fire and save matches uh, i heard it from a poker player a woman about my grandmother's age at a casino where i once worked <laughs> pod pet tax is a trifle bittersweet my longtime feline companion an orange yellow tabby i called whimsy named for sayers detective had to be euthanized in february of this year shortly thereafter my vet introduced me to a tuxedo boy found on a farm. I named him Bunter after Lord Peter Whimsey's valet chauffeur assistant. I have attached photos. The one ear tip was removed when he was neutered, part of their TNR program, I gather. And your eyes do not deceive you. He does have two black dots on his nose. I think he was a singleton and or got separated from his mother. He's a bit feral still, starts easily and plays a bit rough, but he's affectionate and recently learned to play with a feather lure. Thank you again. Oh, oh, look oh, at this look orange baby. at that. Look at the second picture. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so sweet. Those two yeah, little black and dots. I hear that that's a common thing. When you, when you neuter a, a feral cat, you clip their ears. So everyone, so, you know, other animal shelters and stuff know that, that that's a neutered, a neutered kitty or a fixed kitty. Thank you so much for that. Uh, this next one's from Trudy. Pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. First, I want to thank you for all you do keeping me up to date on the news, making me laugh, creating this beautiful community. I've learned so much in the years I have spent listening to you on my commute. My good news is, after working through the pandemic, I'm in healthcare at our office remained open throughout. And finally getting my elderly mother, my spouse, and myself vaccinated, I booked a plane tickets for all of us to travel to my mother's home on Cape Cod. This is truly mm. our happy place, and we're not able to get there last year. We live in Florida due to COVID. I have attached a picture of the lake to the Cape Cod house is on and a sunrise. I also submit a find the cat photo of Morgan who disappeared inside the hidey hole while we were on vacation a few years ago. Pet sitter couldn't find her for hours. No. It's a beautiful picture on the lake. Oh my goodness. Uh, <gasps> <hello>. <laughs> I love catnip. I love pantry kittens. <laughs> Just hanging out behind the organic peanut butter. Oh, so cute. Thank you for this. And how lovely. I love Cape Cod. It's so beautiful there. It looks so peaceful. Yeah. Just sit out on the dock and go fishing. Uh, and my dad, used to, we used to catch fish and every fish we caught, he'd be like, oh, it's pregnant. You got to throw it back so there'll be more fish. Oh my God, that's cute. And even if it wasn't a pregnant fish, right. that was just, I was like, okay, cool. We would, uh, I thought that was adorable. <laughs> I really enjoy your dad's stories. <laughs> Next up from anonymous pronoun she and her, I'm just writing with a tip for everyone who hates seeing the former guy's name, but thinks that Horsey McSnuffles is too cute. Try the Drumfinator browser extension. It dates back to a 2016 episode of Last Week Tonight. Ah, yes. When John Oliver explained that his family's surname is originally Drumpf, but his grandfather changed the spelling after emigrating to the U.S., I personally find Donald Drumpf to be suitably stupid to take the edge off seeing his name. Fantastic. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't mind Horsey McSnuffles, but, you know, it is a little too cute for him. 
All right, this next one's from Mary Pronouns, she and her. My good news is that I had some free time during the week this week, so I went for a walk around my reservoir near my house. It was very nice being able to get outside and enjoy the sunshine and fresh air and see other people outside enjoying the nice weather too. I'm including a photo of a family of geese that I saw on my outing, two goslings and two adult geese. Oh my God, look at those baby chicks. Oh. I know they're not chicks, I'm sorry. Just don't correct me. Okay, but I just we came know, out. They're, they're the cutest things I've ever seen. They're such a cool color too. Can we talk about the massive calf muscle in the back? The calf muscle in the back of the in the top of the picture. Oh, whoa! Yeah, runner, this is a sexy runner leg. Thank you for all of that. You definitely running from geese. Oh, geese yeah. will flap you. So oh, are swans. Yeah. Well, especially if they're protecting their little baby goslings, they will come at you. Thank you for this. Those are cuter than Ryan goslings. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they own Mint Mobile. Uh, All right. Next up and finally from anonymous pronoun she they. Ha ha. I have to correct myself. When I said consider using go shit yourself, I actually meant to say that I have a favorite new swear. I've been adding go shit yourself and you're a piece of fuck just to mix things up. Perhaps you'll like the ring of go shit yourself, too. I totally wasn't trying to ask you to stop saying go fuck yourself. I was just lazy in my writing. Love you all. Ah, You just wanted us to add Go shit yourself to the lexicon. Yes. Now, anonymous, I will say to you, I may start using you're a piece of fuck because that actually makes me happy. A piece of fuck. You're a piece of fuck. Yeah, it's fun to swap out swear words that kind of don't make sense. It's amazing. Well, thank you for everyone's uh, submissions this week. I really, really appreciate it. We need them. Looking one last time here to see if that bar memo has been released before... I have to go and make some sort of a weird... Nope, I don't... I didn't see it. I don't see it yet. All right, we'll wait and we'll keep you posted. And uh, do you have any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here, Dana? I don't know. I feel like I should like draw this out, but I do not. I have no final thoughts. Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three and a half. All right, still no memo. Everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G., And I've been DG. And them's the beans. Oh, I mean Allison Gill. I mean Dana Goldberg. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to new